Hey everyone, this is Abraham. So just going to preface this by saying that uh, I apologize that this week's episode was super delayed, totally my fault. And uh, partially what happened is that this ended up being quite quite a bit larger than we had expected. And so on that note, what is happening, what you're gonna hear today is that I have taken a longer conversation uh, that we have recorded over the last couple of months on a topic of hearing. And I'm going to split that into a couple of different episodes um, at least two, possibly three, we'll see, so that they're a little bit shorter and that I have time to get them all out to everyone in a more timely manner. So uh, that's it for today. I hope you enjoy this episode. You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. And recording. Go, go for it. Two, right, one. All right, this is Abraham and Ryan O and Shane. And I'm back. Yeah, Ryan is back. <laughs> Welcome back. Yes. Thanks, man. After his weary world travels. Hey, by the way, uh, you want to share a little bit about your journey? Yes. Yeah, so I've been on this crazy long journey to try to uh, do things like this podcast and like putting cool information out there. And this year I started playing around in the video realm. Uh, there's a lot of really cool people that I wanted to go meet, see a lot of opportunities. So I committed to way too much this year. It's been really stressful, but I've been to way too many awesome cities, countries. I'm super lucky. I do not know how I've ended up in this position necessarily. That said, um, it's time to start like refocusing on exactly what needs to be done. So um, yeah, I make some videos. We're gonna like make this podcast even more awesome. Hopefully next year. I know you guys have been cranking on stuff. I have some episodes to catch up on to be honest. Um, <laughs> for and shame, and I don't know. Yeah, definitely shame. What else? Was there a specific question? No, I mean, I was just wondering if you wanted to share with uh, with the listeners what you've been you've been gone for a couple of months for a couple of months worth of episodes anyway, and and yeah. so now you're back, and uh, that's exciting. Yes, I met and connect with a lot of people. I've been keeping up on like what's going on, on our social channels and doing some outreach and like seeing where things are getting linked. Um, I think we're like at the spot where the next few months uh, we can start to get ahead again, like we've been talking about yeah. and then really launch some cool stuff in 2019. So now to be back since May, how many different countries have you been to? <laughs> Technically Ireland, Norway, I guess the States count. And then, well, in April I went to Egypt and then I also went to Germany and I had a layover in a couple other countries, but I don't count those. That doesn't count. Um, it wasn't like I spent some time there. So you're only right now listing countries you actually spent time in. Yeah. And I've got Lisbon, the UAE and Brazil still left this year. Still left this year. Yeah. Between now and December. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So if anyone's out there listening, like I want to connect, so hit us up. Um, I, yeah, I'm in this really weird, lucky spot. I try not to brag about it. It's super awesome. I've got some opportunities. Um, never thought I'd be doing this and yeah, it's, there's another like half dozen conferences or so in the States too. Um, I've been living out of a suitcase for 65% of the year and it's well, awesome and it's tiring, but it's a first world problem. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <I'll say. laughs> um, uh, and I've legit missed you all. I gave oh, Abraham yeah. the biggest hug when I saw him this morning. Um, <laughs> so I'm super excited to be back. Yeah. Yeah. We're glad to have you back. We reassured our listeners a few times, like Ryan's not off the show. <laughs> He's not like dead or gone or anything. He's just out in the world. He'll be He's back. He's died. So evidence, yeah. is, evidence is here. 
No, and like today you'll realize I'm going to be kind of listening in more so because um, I'm still getting caught up and like being really prepared. And you guys are covering some awesome topics that I'm not like a subject matter expert in, I feel like. <laughs> so I'm pretty excited that we've been getting into more interviews and such. I noticed we did, uh, it was unintentional. We started doing a bunch of history stuff, um, which I, I really love. And, uh, and so we have some more of that coming out. But um, other fun topics, I've uh, we'll be talking a little bit later about some of the ones that'll be coming up soon and uh and we'll talk about what's going on and actually we haven't even introduced this uh this episode yet but before we do really quick because i just wanted to say this i went and saw the movie um the black klansman last night okay that uh that's been it's, i think it's been in theater theaters for a couple weeks at the time of this recording do you know what it is at all nope oh, sorry <laughs> oh man uh it's, so this is, it's a spike watch... lee joint isn't it yeah, Spike Lee joint. I did watch uh, Ready Player One. Oh, sweet. So I'm not like, I watched something. Yeah. <laughs> that book is yeah, great. I didn't read the book. Um, I, I intend to because I've heard it's really good. And I thought the movie was perfectly okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was entertaining and so it had its moments. And What was in the Spike Lee one? So this is a story, a true story, about a, um, a, a police officer in Colorado who he infiltrated the Ku Klux Klan in the 70s. And uh, so African-American. And what he did is he was part of a special investigation. I'm, I'm mostly telling it from the movie, so I'm not sure how much of this was distorted from yeah. the actual story. But what happened is he, he wanted to investigate to see if there were any credible threats in terms of violence and that sort of thing. And and called him up and, and uh, said... Is this like, like a spoiler alert situation? No. I mean, this is like this is in the synopsis of the movie. Okay, cool. But thank you for uh, reminding yeah. me. No, he, he calls him up to say, like, hey, I want to join your group. And uh, and so, but they don't know that he's African-American. And what he does is he just sends another cop in his place to go be the white guy that joins the group. And um, what a what a powerful movie, man. I, I can't I can't really say enough praise about it. It's the it, even though it's long, it doesn't feel long. Like the pace is really good. Uh, the it's it's really really funny in moments and then absolutely tear jerking in others. Um, it's got some uh, some really cool action parts and um, an an excellent sort of build up and crescendo toward the very end. It's just such a good movie. The acting was fantastic. The directing was fantastic. Um, I just and I just left it feeling just this heavy weight of like wow this is so such an important. Uh, film that came out so i i just had this sort of profound sense of of the movie i thought it was really cool awesome. have you seen have you seen it all shane no i haven't seen it all but i've I've heard it's great and um i'm a big fan of adam driver i know is in it and so yeah. um i forget who else is in it but it looks it looks amazing so yeah so the the lead actor um i i think i don't think i'd heard his name before um it is is this relevant uh no not no slightest. <laughs> this is totally that's, that's <laughs> okay uh, <it> is, <laughs> His name is uh, John David Washington. Didn't connect that name to anything important at all until uh, I read a little bit about his bio and realized that his last name should have cued, uh, clued me <laughs> in to who he was related to. Uh, another another famous African American actor by the name of Denzel. Um, and nice. so that was his uh, that's his dad. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, he he did fantastic. The whole the whole review. I just I I really I mostly wanted to bring it up because I think everyone should go see it because it was awesome um, and. Uh, it's totally until his high tangent. We haven't even gotten it all into our topic, and it's been like five minutes. So let's uh, let's go ahead and get started. We are talking about hearing, and if you're receiving this podcast at all, it is most likely coming through some sort of speaker, such as headphones. Maybe it's Bluetooth. Might be a smart speaker, or or something connected that has some sort of auditory uh, output, right? Right. Yeah. Although I, I don't know how. You, 
any other way that you could possibly be receiving it. But, you know, there it is. I will say that I've seen some assistive technologies that will take things and translate them into, like, Braille and such. Sweet. I don't know the accuracy of all of them, but Can there are other things out there. In, like, real time with audio? Yeah. Wow. It's insane. That's it so just, cool. What it'll do, imagine, uh, like, a few rows of Braille. And what happens is you're moving uh, your hand to kind of match the most recent one. So it kind of pops up, and then you read it, and then the next one's popping up, and the next one's popping up, and then they drop and they change. Now, I think that would really only be relevant in this particular case for someone who both had a visual impairment and a hearing impairment, because if they had a visual <laughs> impairment, but they could hear, then they wouldn't really want the Braille, I don't think. Oh, yeah, sorry. The <laughs> that's the first one that I remembered. Okay. Okay, my bad. But, but no, that, that's cool. That's uh, that's really interesting. Point is, is there are other somethings out there. Yeah, no, that's great. That I'm glad, I'm glad you pointed that out. Uh, so... That means, essentially, however however this is reaching you, and I'm glad that it is, that whatever device you are using, it's it's converted our voices and all the sounds and the music that you have heard so far into essentially a series of pulses in the air that you are perceiving as sound. I think we need to back up here. Yeah, um, I agree. We talk a lot about how we are constantly interacting with the world around us and how that is uh, fundamental to the choices that we make and the actions that we choose to take. Okay, so today we're going to talk about what that means and how important that interaction is by breaking down just one component of how we interact with the world through hearing. So first, uh, we have to ask the question, what is hearing? You can break it down into three different parts. What happens in the environment around us, what your ears actually do, and what your brain does when your ears did hear that thing. Right. And there are, there are four actual parts of that I'll go over in a moment. But interestingly, even though we might be exposed to the same environmental circumstances repeatedly, we might actually perceive something, the same noise uh, somewhat differently each time. And someone else in the same environment will likely perceive that same sound differently than we did on either of those two times. But it sounds like we're all getting a little ahead here, so I think we should start with like what the actual process is that our ears do. Does that sound cool? Yep. Sounds good to me. All right. So I interviewed an audiologist. My name is Kathy Vance. I am a doctor of audiology. And I also spoke to... Uh, my name is Brandy Greenhouse, and I am currently an audiologist. Um, so what that means is I do have a doctorate degree in audiology, but I am not an MD. So I don't do surgeries, medication, any of that. Um, I currently practice in Colorado. And so in whatever terms you're comfortable with describing, if you could just explain how hearing works, like what is the, the process of hearing and just sort of what goes on when, uh, when someone is experiencing sound in such a way that uh, we would call that hearing. Sure. Uh, there is actually four parts, uh, basically, to hearing. It is amazing. That's Brandy again. This is where I get nerdy. <laughs> okay. First step of this is that we're to understand that we're constantly surrounded by this chemical gas that we call an atmosphere. And it's fairly dense on Earth, at least compared to other sort of uh, planets and and astral objects out <laughs> in the solar system. Our atmosphere is mostly nitrogen, like 78% nitrogen, uh, with only about 21% oxygen, and then 1% other gases, largely argon, then there's carbon dioxide, methane, and stuff like that. All of these gases, they're pressed together and held to the Earth by gravity, and it's dense enough that when any event moves, it will ripple those gases outward, okay? And that that is that something out in the world around you shakes those air molecules, then those vibrations, although generally too small to feel, they'll hit our bodies constantly but on our special little organs our ears they sense those vibrating ripples so yes you're correct there's going to be a sound wave in the environment and so quick side note 
This is one of my like science nerd things. This is why there's no sound in space. Yes, because there's no air to be rippled. Ah. So there's, it's just, in movies, whenever there's sound in space, it's like, what are you doing? This would be like people just going underwater and just breathing like it was no problem. <laughs> Isn't science awesome? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and so it's not even, in space, it's not even that it's quiet. It's just nothing. There's just, there's just nothing because there's nothing that your ears would possibly detect. Now, that being said, obviously, and if you're in a spacesuit, which you should be because otherwise you'll die, um, you, there will be, you're surrounded by a certain amount of the atmosphere that you brought with you. And so you will hear things that will uh, impact your spacesuit and things that happen inside your spacesuit. Um, and then, of course, radio that goes into your suit. But so neat. Yeah. The, the, like if there was an explosion in space, no sound whatsoever, totally silent, just an image because there is no air to be moved. So there's nothing for, for your ears to detect or perceive as sound. You might shake. It might still throw energy at you. <laughs> but all right. And so this is also why if one were to go to Mars, you would have to like literally scream into someone's ear to be heard because the atmosphere is so thin there, so much less dense than ours. It's less than 1% as dense as our atmosphere, that the gas molecules are too spread out for us to detect those vibrations. It would take a really profound event to shake the gas enough that we would even hear it. So if you're not, now's the time to get in the megaphone business. <laughs> You will be making a killing when we colonize Mars. <laughs> um, sure. So essentially, another way of thinking about this is that everything on Mars is 99% quieter than it would be on Earth. Even the loudest thing, you take it and cut it down by 99%. And that's the end of my tangent. P.S. You can have that whole business idea. I want nothing but just a, a high five. <laughs> Great. Elon Musk just, <laughs> just invested in megaphones. All right. Now, specifically, those ripples, they're caught by the, the skin and cartilage. We generally call the ear. It's going to enter. So our pinna is, you know, basically our earlobe. And it's actually designed with certain nooks and crannies to funnel sound into your ear canal. It is supposed to do that. And that vibrating uh, air starts bouncing much more rapidly once it gets to the ear because of the way that our ear is structured. And the ear canal is specifically built to be a certain diameter around because what happens is as the sound goes in, as the ear canal gets narrower, it increases the volume of the incoming signal. Is it because it like echoes? Um, no, well, it's because of the bounce, okay. uh, because of the sound waves are bouncing up and down in the ear canal. And as it gets narrower, it bounces harder. So that increases how much uh, it, it goes in. Again, those vibrating air molecules are striking all over our body, but when they enter that hole in the ear, that's called the ear canal, the vibrating is now in a smaller space and therefore it bounces a lot harder and that's called like amplification, which is that it becomes much more intense. As a simple experiment, if you roll up like a piece of paper into a cone shape, and I mean this would work with a tube too, but if you roll it up into a cone shape and put the small end of that cone to your ear, you'll hear how everything gets much louder. And again, it's because those vibrations, they're bouncing more, even more than they would be when they get to your ear canal. Now, again, all of this is only the first step of the process. And it happened it's happened to you hundreds of times just during this explanation and side tangent alone. So it's just kind of amazing to me how how much takes place so quickly that in speaking. I'm vibrating these air molecules that are being detected in this case by a microphone that is shaking another little plastic filmy thing called the speaker. And that is shaking air molecules that are then going into your ear. And all of this is taking place essentially instantaneously. So step two is where the ear does 
a lot of its job. So these sound waves are going to reach the ear canal, They're going to resonate through the canal and hit the tympanic membrane, which is our eardrum. So it is set up like the top of a drum where it can vibrate and it should. It won't if you have something wrong like an ear infection. Um, the eardrum is going to vibrate and then it, it is attached to three ossicles. I remember I just said that the the air that hits the eardrum, it's already, the, the all those events happened, something happened out in the world that shook those airwaves, they came in, your ear amplified that sound and it struck your eardrum, which is that little flap of skin that stretched tight. Now, there are these three very tiny bones. There are three little bones in the middle ear that are linked together, they're called the malleus, the incus, and the stapes. Everybody else knows them as the hammer, the anvil, and the stirrup. And the middle ear is also filled with air, just like the ear canal is. The eardrum is just a membrane of skin, and what it does is it vibrates and it pushes those little bones because the stapes, which is the same thing as the stirrup. And this is the smallest bone in the human body. And it's got this sort of uh, sort of half circle shape so that if you were to slide the stapes onto a push pin, like a thumbtack, just to give you an idea of how small it is, the stapes would hug the metal part of that that thumbtack pretty closely. So it's very, very tiny bone in our body and yet has a really important job. Um, is attached to the oval and round window of the cochlea, which is the third part of your hearing. I think one of the coolest things I ever learned is our cochlea is actually engraved in our temporal bone when we are born. So it is actually this engraving of a two and a half turn cell shape organ. The cochlea is filled with fluid. And so that's uh, the middle ear actually increase, the vibrations actually increase the sound too because it's having to transfer the volume from air to liquid. And so it has to intensify it a fair amount in order for it not to just die when it hits the inner ear. Otherwise you wouldn't hear anything. Correct. So uh, it hits those two windows, which are kind of membranous so that, you know, it can push through and then it hits that fluid. And inside the inner ear, there are little what we call hair cells because they kind of look like uh, a hair waving around in the fluid. The inner ear is then lined with about 15,000 sensory hair cells. What are essentially neurons and like nerve endings that sort of float in the liquid of this inner ear and they almost float like sort of, if you can imagine seaweed is how I sort of picture this idea of them sort of waving there. And what happens is as the liquid moves, it sends that ripple effect through the cochlea and as that ripple travels, it shakes and affects those nerve endings. And these are largely specialized to respond to particular wavelengths or tones of sound. So they are going to detect where the vibration has occurred in the fluid. They are organized what's called tonotopically, so by frequency. So the opening of our cochlea is high frequency and the, it turns two and a half times and then the base is considered low frequency. So it's going to know what the sound wave, what the frequency is. It's going to stimulate that part of the inner ear. And there are outer and inner hair cells. You need both in order for the whole process of hearing to work, but the outer hair cells are the ones that can be damaged by things like very loud noises. Um, they can also be damaged by viruses that get into the inner ear called sudden sensory neural hearing loss. And various other things can damage them, such as age. So there are lots and lots of reasons why people get hearing loss. Now, the e human ear, interestingly enough, uh, has been measured to be able to hear from about 25 hertz, which is 
unbelievably low frequency to as good as 25 to 40,000 hertz um, in the super, super high frequencies, usually only when you're very young. The higher frequencies above about 8,000 hertz start to die off probably by the time you're 30 at the very or at the very latest. So what's an example of a, a pitch that would be around 8,000 hertz? Um, a pitch that's around 8,000 hertz. Warning, it sounds like this. Thinking about this in terms of a lot of people compare it to a dog whistle. Mm -hmm. Do you know where a dog whistle falls in, in terms of hertz? Yes, a dog whistles at about 20,000 hertz. Whoa, so that's, that should be way above the threshold of where a human could hear it. Um, once those, those uh, uh, the ability to hear those has died off, yes. This is what 20,000 hertz sounds like. So if you could hear that, you have incredibly good hearing, and I probably just annoyed one of your pets. As a young child, you can hear 20,000 hertz. Oh, I thought you said it goes up to 8,000. 8,000, about, usually by the time you're 30, those higher frequencies above 8,000 are gone. Okay. But you can hear them as a child sometimes. You know, as an audiologist, I wear a headset so that I can hear the pitches, so I'm kind of getting the feedback that they should be hearing the pitches. Right, okay. And when I have to test 8,000 hertz, I feel like a nail is being driven into my ear through my <laughs> headset. It's awful. I hate it. Okay. <laughs> so is it the case that everything that is not, that comes before the cochlea is considered the outer ear? No. Good question. Sorry okay. about that. So no, that's okay. outer ear is from the eardrum out. So basically think my ear canal is my outer ear. Okay. The eardrum is a threshold to the middle ear. Got it. Middle ear is consisted of the three bones. And then what we have is our eustachian tube. So if you go to yawn or go to pop your ears from altitude, that's your eustachian tube equalizing pressure. Then the next threshold is the, the foot plate of that stapy bone meeting the inner ear. So the cochlea is the inner ear. Got it. So there's three parts of the ear, outer, middle, inner. Perfect. Okay. You mentioned how the, the pinna is designed in such a way to filter sound into the ear. So do piercings that people might get affect how well their uh, ears might detect or uh, process sound? I've never read any research on it, but I highly doubt it. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, unless it's blocking a part of the ear, right? If, you know, it, it, I think it's fine. <laughs> okay. So just going back, the first three steps of this, the air out in the world and the, uh, the eardrum and the, the bones inside of your ear, this is all very mechanical. All of these pieces relatively intact would still perform that reaction to the environment that all of that process would still happen, even if it was not attached to a brain or, you know, or a living organism of any kind. So the next part of hearing is really important is where the perceiving part comes in. Now that hasn't finished how we actually hear though, because what happens after the sound has gone through the cochlea and send a nerve impulse to the brain to tell you what you heard. Now that's very basic. <laughs> the ear is extremely amazing how it hears um, but that kind of gives you the idea the sound gets transferred to the eighth auditory nerve okay and the eighth auditory nerve carries it up and it crosses over by the way so you're you're kind of you're getting it on both sides but you're also getting a crossover of the sound uh through the uh cerebellum all right so and the sound that enters your right ear is actually processed in the left side of your brain it's processed on both you have multiple auditory centers in the brain okay and as as is the left um but 
the eighth auditory nerve goes up into the auditory cortexes that are in both your temporal lobes, and that's where the sound is actually processed. Okay. Okay. So damage to the would damage of the auditory lobes in the brain affect one's ability to hear and understand sounds? It absolutely can, and as a matter of fact, we now know that strokes in your auditor in the region of your auditory cortexes can cause hearing loss. So people they're mechanically their ear will be working potentially just fine mm -hmm. but they wouldn't necessarily register that they were hearing sounds right could they actually damage their hearing that way because they couldn't sense that something was too loud um yes okay they absolutely can it's not like okay you have one center in you know this part of the brain that's going to hear sound they're everywhere and so a lot can go wrong um but it's amazing to think how much goes right when you hear clearly and we're having a conversation right now and you know exactly what I'm saying because your brain is processing all that correctly. Um, that is a, a lot of stuff and it's also <laughs> keeping me, keeping me alive. <laughs> yes. So. <laughs> Could you also speak to uh, the extent to which our ears give us the ability to detect the direction that sound is coming from? Yes. That actually goes um, partly with our or those um, crossing pathways in the brain. So. One of the hardest things for people who have what's called a unilateral hearing loss is localizing sound. So your brain really wants to have both ears because it's going to rely on knowing, okay, the sound came from this side of my head. And it only can do that if you have equal hearing in both ears. Um, the more one side goes down or, or goes up to process where the sound is coming from. It's called temporal processing, the timing of that sound coming into the ear, hitting the brainstem, and you then interpreting it. You don't know you're doing this. <laughs> That's what's so crazy, right? You're in a restaurant and you're hearing noise and you, someone says your name and you know to turn to the right, but you didn't think about how you knew how to do that. It's all at the brain, understanding where the signal came from and when to then somehow interpret where it was. Um, if you have one bad ear, you cannot do it. Your brain can only detect if my left ear is my good ear, everyone's talking to me on my left. And, and it's really hard, really hard to then do well in any kind of competing environment. So the the tiny, tiny, almost imperceptible fraction of time that is different between hitting one ear versus the other, does, yep. does would the volume also give us the perception of it being more on one side than another? Something if- It okay. can. Yes, definitely. And that again is your brain relying on those two ears and knowing that it, it was perceived differently in one ear than the other. I remember the very first time I, I think I ever put in headphones or that I recollect and being almost in like a sense of shock of like normally I hear music outside of me but now it feels like it's happening inside my skull <laughs> and I'm like feeling it right it's inside like, my head it's right there right how, in your uh, head <laughs> yeah. it is very different yeah and how weird of a sensation that was yeah um I'm used to okay so that was the basic process of how hearing works but is it that important to how we perceive the world. I mean here that what happens if something about that process changes and specifically what what if something breaks down? What if the process gets interrupted and we can no longer hear what is going on around us? What do we perceive when there isn't sound? Okay, so we're kind of being coy. Pretty much everyone is familiar with the concept of hearing impairment and deafness. Um, but what you may not know is that there's different types of deafness out Experience. there. Absolutely. So there is conductive hearing loss, which is anything that's outer or middle ear related. And then there is sensory neural hearing loss. So with conductive hearing loss, it's 
there's about three or four things that can happen conductively. Think if the sound can't conduct through my system, I cannot hear. This is the most treatable. This is the hearing loss usually that can be um, fixed potentially. So most basic example is an ear infection. So you've got your eardrum and those bones in the middle ear and you get fluid that builds up in the middle ear. Well, guess what? You can't hear very well because it's like having water in your ear that you now have to try to get a signal to move through that it's not supposed to move through that sound. Um, that's going to be treated with antibiotics. Sometimes they put little um, pressure equalization tubes in an eardrum and it just drains out. You can hear again. It's not permanent. A very simple one, which is impacted uh, wax in your outer ear canal. And if it totally get if your outer ear totally gets filled up with wax you will lose about 15 decibels of, of volume but pretty curable you just get the wax out absolutely yeah okay. so the that's the easiest to cure thing people always think that you know got to get it out got to get it out of my ears but it is a clean agent we we like wax in the ears a little bit but yes let's say you have so much ear wax that it actually blocks the ear that simulates up to a 30 decibel hearing loss. So you could quite literally say, I cannot hear out of my right ear right now, you know, because maybe one side gets plugged, you come into the office, we remove the wax and you hear significantly better. Not very common. <laughs> I, I'd say most people I have come in hope that it's earwax and it's not. But yes, that would also be considered a conductive hearing loss. You cannot conduct the sound through a block of wax, so you've got to get it removed. And to the listeners, don't stick anything in your ear. Don't shove a Q-tip in there. I've taken Q-tips off of eardrums. You need to go in and get it out. <laughs> don't try to get it out. You can't see in there. Yikes, that sounds painful. It, it, you know, I've seen eardrums blown from people trying to get wax out of their ears, so don't do it. Another thing that can happen in the middle ear is you can get a condition called otosclerosis. Your middle ear bones. Um, are not not moving correctly. They can be stiff. They can also be disarticulated where they move too much. And what happens with otosclerosis is that calcium deposits build up around the stirrup or uh, the stapes. And as they build up, they freeze it into place so it can't move like it's supposed to anymore. Got it. That is surgically correctable. Um, they What they do now is they just take out the original uh, stapes and they replace it with a prosthetic stapes, basically what it would be. Okay. Um, it's not the, um, the cochlear implant? No, okay. no. Cochlear implants a totally different thing. Okay. What causes the calcium buildup? Um, you know, it is a condition we don't really know. Oh. What's interesting about it is that it tends to be hereditary, and it's much much more prevalent in white females than it is in any other population. Is it associated with age? Then I assume not necessarily. Oh, really? As a matter of fact, I have a family where the grandma had otosclerosis. Um, her daughter developed otosclerosis when she got pregnant with her first child, and it didn't get passed on to either one of her daughters, That's nice. uh, which is interesting. Um, but it can, it certainly can be hereditary, and we're really not sure what causes those calcium deposits, or at least I haven't heard anything that says 
says what if they've discovered what that is. Okay. And then the uh, sensory neural hearing loss is when the uh, nerves start to die in your inner ear. That's going to be from um, aging, genetics, noise exposure, medications. That is permanent. It is irreversible. There is no surgery to fix it. And there are multiple causes for that. Uh, one of the biggest ones, at least in my area, is noise-induced hearing loss. And of course, that's pretty self-explanatory as to what noise-induced hearing loss is. But we have of a lot of gold mines in our area and because of all the industrial uh, noise exposure that people are exposed to noise induced hearing loss in Elko Nevada is incredibly high but it's certainly not the only way that you can get sensory neural hearing loss which sensory neural just basically means nerve damage to the inner ear why is it that really loud sounds would cause hearing loss what does that actually do to the mechanisms to to produce a loss in hearing okay so what we uh, are pretty sure is happening is as that enormously loud sound is going into the inner ear because of course it's being magnified all the way through the outer and middle ear system to try and make sure it's audible when it gets to the inner ear but it's going through so loud that what we assume is happening is that when it hits that water it's at such a velocity that it's shearing off the uh, uh, outer hair cells um, and when you shear them off that's it they're done and that's why it tends to be that uh, noise-induced hearing loss is almost always in the high frequencies because that's where that velocity is hitting first is at the at the uh, end or the open end of the cochlea and that's where the high frequencies are. There are some other ways that you can get sensory neural hearing loss. So one that I would love for everybody to know about because it's really important for you to know this. This will be our little PSA or maybe one of the few PSAs that we do. There's something called sudden sensory neural hearing loss and it happens a lot more often than I think it should. Uh, but what basically happens is, and it could happen at any time, but I'm use the example of, of going to sleep. So you go to sleep and your hearing is just fine and you wake up the next morning and your hearing seems to be gone in one ear. Does it always happen overnight? No, not necessarily. Okay. I've had it happen to people in the middle of the day where they've said I was hearing just fine and all of a sudden it just went away. So it doesn't necessarily just happen at night. Um, what we are pretty sure that is, is a virus that gets into the inner ear uh, that was lingering in the middle ear. And what it does is it just destroys the outer hair cells in the inner ear. And it is a medical emergency. You have 24 to 48 hours to get on steroids to have that treated, or it's a permanent hearing loss. So it can be reversed in that, that window of time. It can be reversed as long as it's reversed within 24 to 48 hours. And the treatment is steroids. I'm not sure what kind of steroids, and I'm not sure of the dose. I, do, I am pretty sure that the dose is a tapered do dose. So you st it starts out pretty high and then it gets smaller as they progress uh, with taking it. But basically what my message to people is, if that happens to you or any one of your loved ones, tell them they need to call, call an audiologist or an ear, nose, and throat doctor immediately. They do not want to ignore that. How extensive can the damage be in terms of hearing loss? Um, I had one lady who basically ended up needing a cochlear implant because it destroyed her hearing that badly. So that basically that means that she couldn't hear anything at all. Correct. Not one sound would make it there. Nope.
And that affects both ears? Uh, usually it'll only affect one. Interestingly enough, many years ago, I had a lady who, and I don't remember which ear went first, but I had a lady who developed sudden sensory neural hearing loss. She thought there was just something wrong. She went to her, her uh, general practitioner who didn't know that sudden sensory neural hearing loss is a medical emergency and put her on an antibiotic that was completely inappropriate to, to treat it. She finally came to me about three weeks later and I had to break the news to her that her hearing was never going to get any better in that ear and I explained to her what a sudden sensory neural hearing loss is and what an emergency it is and horrifyingly enough about three months later she experienced it in the other ear fortunately because she knew that it was now now knew that it was a medical emergency she uh, called me instantly and we were able to recover a great amount of that uh, that ear so it really is important um, for you to do something about it very, very soon. And if you can't, I, like say it's the weekend and, it, and you wake up on a Saturday morning and there's no, you can't find a doctor that's, um, you know, that's available. What you would probably want to do is either go to an urgent care or a, a emergency room and tell them that this is a medical emergency and they need to get a hold of an ear, nose and throat doctor to find out what the appropriate steroidal dose is. Got it. Another type of uh, hearing loss that you can get from sensory neural hearing loss is age-related, and that's incredibly common. The, the thing that's interesting about it is that it's uh, kind of hereditary as to when it might start. So I actually have had people who are only in their 30s who've presented with age-related hearing loss. How do you know it's age-related and not well, noise? The, you know, that's a great question. The thing that's really interesting about hearing loss is that every type of hearing loss shows a different configuration. What do you mean configuration? Uh, so, okay, so on an audiogram, there it's a graph. And atop, uh, across the top of the graph, we go from low pitches to high pitches. On the side of the graph, it's volume from very, very quiet, which is zero, mm -hmm. to very, very loud, which is 120 decibels, mm -hmm. okay? Um, so with, let's say, for instance, a noise-induced hearing loss. Normally, with a, with a noise-induced hearing loss that's relatively new, the hearing stays completely normal through a, usually about 2,000 hertz, and then it's, it drops down at 3, 4, and often 6,000 hertz, and then it recovers. So it kind of looks like a line and a V that goes up part of the way. Uh, what you're saying is that there are certain frequencies they won't be able to hear. So Correct. certain like pitches of sound. Yep, exactly. Okay. And then with age-related hearing loss, the configuration, at, at least if you, if you catch it when it very first starts happening, is it's normal, 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 and then it usually will start dropping off at about 4,000 hertz, and it just goes straight down. So typically 8,000 hertz is the worst frequency for somebody who's got an age-related hearing loss. Okay. With uh, conductive hearing loss, the hearing loss is usually what we call reverse slope, which means they have a very they have very bad hearing in the low frequencies, and it slopes back up into the normal range. Okay. Part of what we do when we test, uh, it's the fourth part of the uh, the audiologic comprehensive audiologic evaluation is what we call bone conduction, and what bone conduction does is it's a vibrating uh, transducer that sits behind let's say if I'm testing for uh, conductive hearing loss, sits behind the poorer ear. 
And what it does is it bypasses the outer ear and the middle ear and only stimulates the inner ear where the hearing nerve is. If they've got a conductive hearing loss, what'll happen is I'll get a much better response on the bone than I will through the ear canal. And that means something's blocking the transmission of sound the way it should go into your head. Right, that makes sense. Yeah, so that tells me they've got a conductive hearing loss, okay? Another condition that, that shows a configuration of reverse slope hearing loss is when people have a condition called Meniere's disease. And Meniere's disease is a horrible, terrible disease that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. Okay. Um, and what it is, it, there are two fluids in the uh, inner ear. The fluids are called endolymph and paralymph. In the cochlea. In the cochlea. And those two fluids have a very specific chemical balance that um, if it gets out of whack, causes Meniere's disease. And what Meniere's disease is, is a, a, a condition where you experience horrendous dizziness, where you, you feel like the room is spinning. And you, I mean, you just can't even stand up. Either you're spinning or the room is spinning. It can be either one. Um, and it usually lasts, I mean, those episodes can last four or five hours. They, I've even had some people, they've lasted whole entire days. And they literally just have to stay in bed that whole time. It usually causes nausea and vomiting. And it causes a reverse slope sensory neural hearing loss that fluctuates weirdly enough. Hmm. And it, it just has, wreaks havoc on the, on the inner ear. So it is just a terrible disease that I really wouldn't wish on anyone. Is that treatable? It has become somewhat treatable. Unfortunately, I don't know what the treatments are, but it's it's there's more hope for people with, with uh, Meniere's disease now than there used to be. There is mixed hearing loss. So let's say someone has damage to their inner ear, which is always going to be considered nerve hearing loss. Those are our sensory cells. Those are unfortunately what we can't figure out how to regrow and, and fix. Um, that is a permanent hearing loss, but you could then also get an ear infection. So then you have what's called a mixed hearing loss. It's going to be part conductive because if we can get that fluid out of your ear, you're going to hear better to a degree, but you're still going to have some underlying nerve hearing loss. So that's it. There's three hearing loss. Conductive, you've got something blocking you. Mixed, you've got nerve damage and something blocking you. And then sensory neural, permanent nerve damage. Now, with respect to um, hearing loss that occurs with age, is it the case that some people will they'll lose their hearing regardless of exposure to environmental circumstances that, that might cause it uh, over time? Um, or is there a way that people can more or less guard against and be relatively guaranteed decent hearing for their into their golden years, so to speak? There is no guarantee. Everybody will get hearing loss at some point if you're old enough. <laughs> now, there are certain factors. You're correct. I tested an 86-year-old a couple weeks ago who had normal hearing, and I questioned my test because I couldn't believe it. But she said she'd never been in noise, no family history of hearing loss. You know, it was borderline. It wasn't it wasn't a 20-year-old's hearing, but it was very good. So we were also curious about earwax. So what is it? What is it for? And how does it impact hearing? You had mentioned the earwax buildup as one thing that blocks sound getting in. Uh -huh. um, is that relatively common? I know a lot of people worry about the earwax, and so they use Q-tips and that sort of thing. And I've also heard that our ears naturally build up and shed earwax and that helps with it. So you can describe that. So earwax is sort of a waxy covering that our ears naturally produce. It coats the inside of our ears and it has a couple of different purposes. 
the purpose of earwax is twofold. The first purpose is to lubricate the outer ear canal. And the second purpose, believe it or not, is to protect it from foreign objects. It seems to largely catch debris that gets in our ear. So little pieces of dust, dirt, uh, even insects that will get in will actually get caught in the earwax and the earwax dries up and just kind of crumbles out of our ear. Bugs and mosquitoes and things have gotten into people's ears. So what we're hoping is that there's enough wax in there to trap them so that they don't get to the eardrum because there have been people who've had their hearing damaged and I do not understand what happens, but they've had insects reach their eardrum and it has caused hearing loss that is not treatable. I don't I don't understand how that works, but I know that it has happened because I've had some patients with that. As far as how normal or common it is for uh, earwax to be a problem, it's relatively common. It really depends a lot on the person. Uh, some people have a lot more trouble with earwax than other people do. I tend to be a person who has a little more trouble with earwax. What's interesting is that there's also people who have, they will build up wax really, really badly in one ear and not in the other, which is very common, but I have no, no clue as to how to explain that. I have no idea why that happens. And then there are also people who um, their earwax is always very, very hard or their earwax is always very, very soft. And that, I have always supposed, may have something to do with diet, but that's only a supposition on my part. I have no proof to that at all. Could that be genetic in any way? Possibly. Okay. Yeah. And so what do what's the recommended way of dealing with earwax? Um, what I recommend is absolutely not to use a Q-tip because basically what happens with Q-tips is you're just cramming the wax farther down in your ear because there's no way to hook a Q-tip around wax and pull it out. Um, so that's the worst thing you can do in my personal opinion. What I always recommend that people do is get earwax softening drops and use it as it's directed on the box. And then the other thing that you can do is you can get an earwax softening drop that comes with a, a little bulb syringe and you can irrigate your ears out at home doing that. If you're going to do that, there's two things that I recommend. Remember that the ear canal is a little tunnel with a membrane of skin at the end of it. So you don't want to shoot water directly at your ear canal because you can rupture, or excuse me, your eardrum because you can rupture it. Um, and the other thing that you do not want to do is use cold or hot water because it can make you violently dizzy. So you always want to use room temperature water, and I recommend that you shoot the bulb towards the top of the ear canal so that it kind of washes back, kind of slides down the eardrum, and then comes back out. Okay, so we're going to end this one here, so be sure to tune in next week to catch the next part of this interview slash discussion slash whatever we're talking about uh, covering hearing. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.wwdpodcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O., Shane, and Miranda. 
Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brasier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.